0: guy here you're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's M-R-K-T Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter, and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. Absolute madness on this Tuesday, November 15th, because it's not one o'clock Eastern time. If you're looking at your clock, you're like, what the bleep? Nope. <laughs> on the open. Market call. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan. Today, we're sponsored by FactSet, financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. We're powered um, by the early morning action here in the market. We figured, why not? Let's do this
1: on the open today. Why not, guy? I mean, listen, here, here's the deal, okay? You know, we spent a lot of time 2021, you know, kind of parsing through what the word transitory meant, kind of figuring out, you know what I mean? Whether was that weeks? Was it months? Was it years? Was it, what was it here? And so the irony of this whole thing, and you know, I, I listen, I'm a big mean reversion guy when it comes to everything that I've seen in the markets over my 25-year career. And so I always thought that was a bit silly because, again, whatever you thought the definition of the time, you know you know what I mean, that the Fed was, was kind of putting in place when they were saying that inflation is transitory in 2021. I think that today's PPI reading, last week's CPI reading, if we had a string of those sorts of things, we had the unemployment rate going up a little bit, well, then it was clear that it was transitory. I think the mistake that you would agree is that the Fed just kind of kept the pedal on the metal for too long, you know what I mean, like as far as all of the easing why were they buying 40 billion dollars of of mbs you know what i mean a month last year yeah no
0: it's interesting look i mean when they said transitory and i'm, I'm not you know reading into their words but they didn't think it was going to last years i think they thought it was going to last at most months so you know they missed the boat on that and remember it's the same fed that was talking about we're not even thinking about thinking about yeah. Raising rates, and they're the same ones a couple of weeks ago that basically said we're not even thinking about thinking about lowering rates. So, I mean, they've screwed the entire thing up. But to your point, if PPI continues to sort of trend in the right direction, CPI as well, and if unemployment yeah. just ticks higher gradually then the markets doing the work for them and maybe they'll get out of this thing somewhat unscathed. I mean that's the bull case, right? And we'll see. And today it's playing out right before our very eyes, but there's a lot of more there's just there's a lot more to go and my sense is, you know, if the dollar continues to sell off a great call that you've had and if rates continue to come in, I think it's just going to I think uh reaccelerate the commodity market which as you know is inflationary. So there are a lot yeah. of moving pieces, just
1: the entire puzzle. But but, but my question is, did did they really screw it up? I mean, like, if you think about, you know, the the stock market was up 28% last year, housing went ballistic. I know those were bubbles that people were worried about. And they were basically inflated because they kept the monetary policy for too, you know, too easy for too long. But guy, think about this. I mean, you know, inflation, as you had been saying for years and years, careful what you wish for, they wanted above their 2% target here, you were saying that they don't measure it correctly. If you look at education and housing and healthcare and that sort of thing. I get that. OK, but what I'm saying right now, and I've been saying this actually for a while, is like look at unemployment. I mean, we're basically near those pre-pandemic levels. It just ticked up to 3.7 from 3.5 percent. Like how much have they screwed up? I mean, they kept, you know, U.S. Right. households and they kept, you know, U.S. businesses basically from going defunct during a black swan event. And here we are, if you're just looking at the excesses that have been taken off of risk assets, it's not so bad. The S&P is down, you know, 15 and a half percent on the year. I'm just saying, and I know that's not the only measure, but what I'm saying is we avoided a lot of worst case scenarios, except for the fact it cost them $4 trillion to do it.
0: Yeah, well, that's part of it, right? I mean, a lot of money went into doing it. They still have a balance sheet that they're trying to unwind. And through the lens that you just put, played out, I mean, now that's... That's correct. I mean, did they screw? I guess not through that lens, but for a lot of people that were forced into things that they probably didn't, you know, a lot of people were forced out the risk curve in a myriad of different ways. And a lot of them got themselves forced out the risk curve at the exact wrong time. I mean, you talk about housing, you know, a lot of people got themselves off sides and you want to blame it on, I don't know, greed or whatever. Yeah, maybe. But a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, rates were zero for a long time and money was free. And when money's free, people do really stupid things because for some reasons they're greedy and for some reasons they're forced to, but to your point, I mean, how bad did they screw it up? Like, listen, if, if this continues, I guess not all that bad. You're never going to change my mind in terms of these characters, but that's that's yeah. what makes markets. Well, assistant. you know what guy?
1: I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to keep pushing back. Not that I believe I just don't have any strong views about what they do one way or another. I just know during the financial crisis and during the pandemic, I mean what they were charged with doing is full employment and stable prices. That's their mandate and I think they were doing everything in their power at those times to do it whether they stay stick around for too long is another story here but you're you made this point on many occasions oftentimes it gets kind of political right like you know in and around you know election years and that sort of stuff mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why maybe they continue you know just to do the thing that they were charged to do but doing it for too long all right let's look at the markets here guy s p 500 here um, you know, you had that four thousand forty one hundred call. That was your short-term bullish call here. I mean, we're getting to that descending 200-day moving average. You see that downtrend that's been in place since the first week of this year. We had that huge 19% rally from the June lows in mid-June to mid-August. We are, what, 12 13% off the lows right now. We've had a couple big double-digit bounces in this downtrend over the course of this year. Thoughts here because the CPI into the PPI um, into the December you know Fed meeting we're gonna have some more data we're gonna have the November jobs data if that's a bit cooler um, you know I mean is this thing gonna get through that two hundred and the and the downtrend
0: well I mean forty one hundred was the overshoot what are we at like forty twenty five or so now yeah. so we're getting close you see the moving average you see the trend line. I mean, I guess at this point, it's it's a foregone conclusion that we probably trade up to it. It's a question of, you know, do you think this thing continues in the year end? Does seasonality kick in and do we overshoot potentially up to the levels we saw in August? Or is it going to exhaust itself like we did in August? I'm sort of in the more exhaust itself camp because, yeah, all these metrics are working out uh, right now. But you still, I mean, if you just look at across a swath of earnings releases and people will champion this Walmart quarter sandwich. Yeah. They beat lowered guidance is effectively what happened. I mean, so it's not like things are all that rosy. And I think at some point people will come to that conclusion. I just heard a debate on squawk box or the show afterward talking about, you know, you're still talking about a market that what's the right multiple and what's the right dollar amount for earnings. So all those things come into play. So whether or not the Fed is off the table or not, you're still talking about a slowing environment and look what's going on in China in terms of their slowing growth. So it's a global thing now. So so we'll see. I guess to answer your question, you know, look, we've said it for a while. You know, I thought we could trade to 4,000. The overshoot would be 4,100. And here we are. So we'll see how
1: it plays out from there. All right. That was a great short-term call by you. Um, here's a question from a Twitter follower, um, Stock Pains guy. Mm, um, I like he's that. saying, he's saying no dunking on your Baba call guy, Adami. And and you did Does that mean call.
0: he's not dunking on me. I don't understand what that, not, but, no, no, but no. that's he okay. just
1: He just meant taking a victory lap. That's not your jam, oh, but yeah, you were recommending the stock um, about a week and a half ago, kind of pounding the table in and around the mid to low sixties. Here we are near 80. So good call. Call. Good job by you, Guy. Um, but here's a question. Can you guys talk about what make you turn medium-term bullish as opposed to the short-term bullish that you've been for this rally? And we both have been. We've been detailing a market call every day for the last few weeks, if not a couple months, how we've been picking at stocks. We don't like to press lows here. But I guess this question is more about, OK, you got this short-term bounce off the lows, right? You got the sentiment call right what would make you turn i guess you know medium term bullish which would mean breaking out above that (laughs) downtrend getting above let's call it that august high you know what i mean making Mm -hmm. an attempt for that late march high that would be a medium term bullish sort of view in my opinion as it relates to the s&p 500
0: yeah so that's a good question i don't time never really factors into it for me but maybe it should i don't know so i don't know medium short it's to me it's just levels and if you go back and if you put the s&p chart up we talked about this on June 16th when we said, if you go back and look, we said the setup was such that the market has gotten itself exhausted itself on the downside. You had a VIX around 34 or so. You had a couple days in a row where you saw ridiculous intraday swings up 500, down 500 in terms of Dow points. And we said, it's reasonable believe we could trade up to about 4,100, 4,200 on the overshoot. And Pretty much that's exactly what happened in August. Then we said, we'll look at the trend line. We're going to exhaust ourselves here. Maybe test 3,400. As you know, we got down to 3,490. And I'll tell you, because we talked about it on that. I want to say it was the 6th and 7th of our 13th, 14th, and then 17th of October. We said, look, this the setup was very similar to what we saw in June. And the market can trade higher. So in terms of duration, no I can't speak to duration or short term long term but I can speak to level so that's how I look at it. I think you look at things a little differently, but as they say, Dan, that's what makes market.
1: No, I think you're right on the levels. And, and again, I mean, we use charts as an input. It's one of the reasons we like throw them up here all the time um, on market call. Let's look at the VIX that you just mentioned. I mean, to me, this would be one where, you know, when you see the VIX getting towards that kind of uptrend um, that's been in place, you know, over the last year, it's usually been a good time what to sell stocks, right? Mm-hmm. And then when it gets to um, that, Downtrend, you know what I mean? From the highs, you know, um, at the start of this year, it makes sense probably. To buy them, And if you just overlay the S and P and the VIX, I mean, this has been a descending sort of, you know, this kind of pendant formation or whatever. And um, you know, to me, I, I guess it really does come down to the data, and it really comes down to what the Fed when they're going to pivot. You know, I had a great conversation on an OK Computer that dropped um, in the podcast stores today with a guy named Dan Benton. He's a friend of mine. He was a re- epic, epic tech stock investor. You remember him? He was an analyst mm-hmm, at Goldman mm-hmm. in the early nineties. He wrote the twenty rules for tech stock investing and you know he and i went through some of them that we've talked about them on our other pods here a little bit um you know they haven't changed in 30 years you know what i mean so when estimates are starting to come down in tech stocks you know you sell them and the interesting thing we had this conversation and i'll let you guys listen to it so check it out in the podcast stores is that estimates for the mega cap stocks guy have just started to come down as you know you and i have been highlighting that All year long, okay, Um, when that starts to happen, it's not likely to be a one-quarter event. And so that just happened over the last few weeks. That's exactly right. And I think that speaks to the the broader
0: picture that we've been talking about in terms of, yeah, the Fed can do pivot, you know, the numbers seem to be coming in in their favor. But the reality is, for a lot of these companies, things have been slowing down and estimates have been going lower. So you can get these short-term bounces on the back of whatever catalyst in June, it was this, it was the VIX. I yeah. think a couple of weeks ago in October, it was a similar move, but it also felt like exhaustion to the downside. Then you have to ask yourself again, what's fair value and what is the right multiple in this environment? And then I just don't see it much greater than a 16 or so multiple on again, probably 20, $210 or so worth of earnings. And you just start back of the envelope and we're looking at a market that's probably overvalued here. Now, People will say you got to get ahead of that earnings growth. They're going to 2023 and accelerate. Maybe I I just don't
1: see that environment right now. Yeah, no, I'm with you. All right, real quickly because we we talk about them every day, but um, let's just look at the 10 year U.S. Treasury yield. It's down like four or five bips here. Mm-hmm. Yeah targeting that three and a half level to the downside. You like playing it via long the TLT. I like playing it long the GOVT. Um, And then, you know, look at that TLT chart guy. It really does feel like it's trying to put a little bit of a bottom there. You look at that breakdown level, um, you know, from just, uh, I guess it was late September or so. You look at the downtrend that's been in place for the last year or so. I mean, you can see an easy trade up to that. Um, But you mentioned Walmart before. And this report, you know, is really interesting to me because, again, last night we were talking about it on Fast Money and the way the market sold off in the last hour and a half of the day, the way Walmart Mm -hmm. sold off. You know, I was like, you know, the conspiracy theorist in me is like, oh, man, you know, somebody knows something about something. You look at this chart. This goes back to the start of 2021. There's that huge gap from the uh, the spring when they talked about having massive inventories and just an issue which you're kind of dealing with them. Well, look at this thing. It, you know, this chart is actually a little delayed. It's basically filled in that gap to 148. What do you do with Walmart here? Because it was a beat and raise. You just said of lowered expectations. But they also putting together a huge buyback or. or yeah renewing the buyback. Thoughts here, are you buying this move on the gap fill?
0: Well, let's just break it down. I think it was a 20 billion dollar buyback, which yep. it sounds like a big number except you're talking about a 400 billion dollar company. So yep. it's it's significant but it's not you know, 20 billion on 400 billion is not as as meaningful as you would think number one. In terms of the levels, I mean this is still an expensive company. We talked about it last night. It's cheap to where it's traded historically. But it's still trading a couple turns north of where the market is right now. It's probably trading close to twenty-one and a half, twenty-two times next year's numbers. And you think they figured everything out? We'll see. And maybe there is this um, this move down in terms of the consumer going to Walmart, which works in their favor. But I still think you have a problem on the margin front. So. I would take personally, I look at this as an opportunity to pare down some risk. You filled the gap and it stands to reason we probably exhaust ourselves on a day where it's probably going to trade close to three times normal volume.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I'm, I'm not all geeked up about the retailers. I think this is kind of like the last gasp, you know, into the holiday season. And then whatever inventories that were high, they didn't work lower. We're going to see massive discounting in the mm, new year. Right. And then we're also going to see, you know, you've been saying this all year long about the inflation thing. And you, listen, and I, and I said this to you just a few minutes ago, you've had it right. You've had it right for 10 years about inflation. And I mean, that sincerely, it's just the goalposts keep moving. Right. And So you've been saying that wage inflation is the stickiest inflation. You can have commodities come in. You can have these supply demand dynamics come in. But the once wages go up for some of these low-end workers, they're really hard to bring lower. Now, the only thing I'll say to you is that on the backside of this pandemic, when it's in the rearview mirror, we're going to go back to the concerns about automation and Mm -hmm. the robots taking the jobs and all that sort of stuff. And maybe we get back to a deflationary wage environment, but not just yet. Hey, guy, I just want to say one thing. This is really interesting to me going back to the mega cap tech stocks, okay? So Morgan Stanley this morning lowers their 2023 e-commerce forecast for Alphabet, Meta, and Amazon. OK, so this kind of speaks a little bit to what we were just talking about. It's not a one quarter thing. And going back to my conversation with Dan Benton, OK, former tech manager and or capital now manages Benton Capital Management, his family office. You know, these are not one quarter things. And he made this point about that. You know, we had these companies that were massive and we just named what they are. And they were having double digit earnings and sales growth. They were going through these huge sector shifts, these huge product cycles. They were pulling forward demand with the you know pandemic over the last two years or whatever. And now they're going to go from this hyper growth phase to what growth at a reasonable price, we call it GARP, right? Um, so when you think about that, that also justifies a lower multiple than when we saw at right. the peak, right? So talk to me a little bit about that, because I also see that Luke Capital, this is um, our friend Gene Munster, he's saying macro headwinds for Apple. And we've been talking, you've been talking about that here. So those are like, like four of the biggest names in the entire stock market. And so the question is, if this really is, just a knee jerk to some of the inflation readings and a bet on what the Fed might do going forward. If the biggest names are decelerating, right, and gonna right. have headwinds in a difficult environment, how can the stock market really move materially in higher? In
0: a meaningful way, right? So there's gonna be there's gonna be this gleefulness that maybe the Fed is off our back and that will lead to these short-term rallies. And then the realization that a lot of the companies that led us higher over the last decade or so are starting to face headwinds that everybody else has been facing for the last year and a half or so. And that's a good thing, because, as I've said, because that's sort of the final piece to this puzzle. And that's the late innings of what has been probably a pretty significant bear market. They're not impervious. They're not immune. But to your point, they're all facing the same things. And now more and more analysts are starting to acknowledge that. And again, these are all companies ex-Google, by the way, which probably trades at a reasonable valuation. Names like Microsoft, Apple they trade at a premium valuation and you have yeah. to ask yourself why i mean if they if you looked at these companies and didn't know what they were and i just gave you the metrics around them you would say that they're too expensive and that's true so apple again i know everybody loves that i get it i you know people swear up and down they name their kids apple but the reality is in this environment given the headwinds they're facing and i see they're discounting some of their products i read as well I think I saw that. Yeah, I mean, they're not impervious. So, what multiple should they trade at? Probably not a market multiple, but somewhere in between a market multiple and where they're trading now, I think is reasonable. Do you know, and by the way, me? I mean, yeah. go back to their last quarter. It was a, it was an okay quarter. They yeah. guided lower. I mean, keep remember that they actually guided lower.
1: Well, it's funny, you know, they actually they, they did, but the funny thing about that quarter was they didn't do the full Monty, the way that, you know, what the the way that Microsoft and Amazon and Alphabet and Meta did. Then they waited two weeks and they came out with that press release about China demand. I would also mention this, and I think this is interesting. Adam Jonas, the analyst who covers Tesla over at Morgan Stanley, he also talked about weakening demand and thinking that, you know. Elon's uh Twitter gambit is having an effect on consumer sentiment as it relates to the products at Tesla, which I think is interesting. And he also said he thinks there's a really good chance that the stock overshoot to the downside. You were saying 175. We almost got there. I actually think, guy, Tesla could round trip if we want to pull up, you know, a two or three year chart. I think you can go all the way back to November 2020, two years ago, when the SP added it to the um, P. Uh, you know, the, the 500 index. Remember, the stock went up like $100 in a straight line over the next couple of months or so i think it round trips that i think this is actually the worst looking mm-hmm. chart in the entire stock market. It is an epic head and shoulders top. And that's just, that's just look at it. I mean, forget what you think about Teslas or Elon or this and that or whatever. It's still a $600 billion market cap company that very soon, I think, is going to trade a lot more like a car company than one with this halo effect that exists because of Elon and their first mover advantage in EV. Watch it today. I think this is
0: one you want to watch. Teslas, I think, trading 196. So, you know, this is one that if it's starts to flirt with unchanged, I think that's important. I mean, as I'm sitting here looking, you know, the s and is giving a little bit back here. The yeah. VIX is effectively unchanged at 23 and a half or thereabouts, which again, if you look over the last six months or so, I mean, that's been the level where stocks have been topping out to your earlier point. So- yeah. There are a lot of things to watch today. I mean, this is one of those days where everybody's going to get all geeked up and bottoms in and you're going to parade out a lot of people. The I told you so is on the bullish side, but we'll see how it plays out. Because again, the fundamentals, and if you look at what companies are saying, if you really examine these things and look at the valuations around them, market's still expensive here. And I think the market did the work it needed to do on the upside. And that's not us in a vacuum, Dan, as you know. I mean, this is what we've now been saying in terms of what we thought could happen. Since the middle of October. Well, here we are. Now, the one good thing, I guess, is that people will start to speak to seasonality. We're in the middle of November, and that wave will start to kick in that end of the year the same way we saw that end of year rally last year. So that's what you have going for you for sure we'll see you know
1: you mentioned this on on the tape a couple times our podcast that we do with danny moses drops on friday people check that out in the podcast or in your favorite podcast store i
0: I do have my own
1: favorites by the way you you've mentioned you've mentioned this um a bunch though uh so so here hopefully jacob can throw this up here um you know, sometimes you just need some of these poster child for the bull markets just to kind of, you know, throw in the towel. This morning, Marco Kalanovic, who we like a lot, he's uh, over at JP right. Morgan. Um, you know, he this is a, a tweet from a Bloomberg opinion writer here. Um, you know, is this the capitulation the market has been waiting for? And again, so he's lowering their bullish outlook on recession risk. And so if you're coming to that conclusion right now. Okay, on November 15th, you know what I mean? As the warning signs have been screaming in silence all year long, okay, then you know, you're just a little late to the party here, in my opinion. Now, my response is like, okay, there's a few others, and I'm not gonna name any names here. There's a few others that need to kind of ratchet down their expectations for 2023. S&P earnings growth and and overall economic growth.
0: Yeah. And those are a lot of the same people that were champion crypto for sure. And you see what's happened there. But I'll say this, you know, since we mentioned Marco, think about the call Mike Wilson made about three and a half weeks or thereabout. I mean, he said, you know what, we're still bearish, but the environment that we see right now suggests and I think he said it on a Friday, if I'm not mistaken, suggests we could trade up to 4,100 or
1: so. And tactical, he said a tactical bullish call is a brilliant call by him. And listen, he was on our podcast. I think he took a little a little, mm-hmm. little something from your commentary because he was on our podcast the week before and we are pressing him. You've had this great call. You were a little early on the bearish side, right? The market was in his face for a couple months late last year. And to your point. That rally in November and December of last year was unnatural. It actually set the stage for a really sharp decline this year. Mm-hmm. But Mike basically turned around and just said, listen, you know, a couple of weeks after our pod with us and he had been bearish and right for nearly a year um, that he wanted to go tactically bullish.
0: Yeah. And that was the right move. Uh, you know, he's allowed to do that. And, and again, you, you can't look at these things in just a vacuum. You have you have to, I think, be tactical. And I think yeah. trading, as you know, is fluid. So listen, I'm bearish overall, absolutely. But back in June, we saw an opportunity to play things from the long side. That worked out. And we saw the same thing in October. I think you're at a level now where if you're playing for the the breakout, I don't know. Yeah. I, I personally I think that's maybe a 25% or so bet in your favor. I think the logical thing is to say the market exhausts itself here. And I think we're seeing a replay of what we saw in the middle of summer. But you have to think that, you know, you have to have these views ahead of time to talk about them after the fact or ex post facto for you Jesuit educated folks out there. It doesn't help anybody. I mean, everybody's a genius after the fact. You know, we try to talk about these things, what we think is going to happen, how you play
1: them into that yeah listen I mean what, what could turn the tide really quickly is if some of that data gets hotter you know what I mean if, if you mm-hmm. reverse the the, the 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 cooler CPI you reverse a cooler PPI if the unemployment rate ticks down a little bit I mean that'll have fed fund futures ticking up and, and you know and so again I, I agree I, never has it been in my career so many moving parts in the macro um really influencing at least what I think about the stock market you know and one of the things that we've spent a lot of time talking about is the u.s dollar and why it's been a huge headwind on u.s multinationals and then starting to kind of feel the pressure of that and look at the, the look at this dixie the dxy the u.s dollar index and again just just real quickly because we have a chart here why do we spend so much time looking at charts look at that 105 level in the dixie look at what that 200 day moving average is these are the same things that everyone else is looking at and so again i mean you want to press that if it gets to that that two hundred day moving average, right. you know, at that breakout level, you know, at one hundred and five, which was a level it checked back to in August and bounced and went from one hundred and five nearly to one fifteen. And again, if that was just a tech stock, you say, oh, that's a nice move." This is the U.S. dollar that had that sort of move in a two month period. So again, might it overshoot to the downside? Maybe. But like pressing this short right now is just a low probability bet right here, right? Yeah, now. I agree with that. I think that's
0: 100% right. And this is a trade that you outlined three weeks or so ago that you thought this exact move could happen. And you were probably you know, early is the wrong word, but you probably, I was a early. couple days I was early. or so, but it didn't yeah. really, it was never that much of a painful trade. Like you always felt your thesis was right. And then the market is now finally rewarding. And that's what trading is. You know, you wait, you wait, you wait, and then finally things happen. And then you have to be ready to pull the ripcord. But to your point, if you're playing for a further move to the downside here, In the U.S. dollar, I think you're pressing against something. The same way, if you're betting that the market's going to blow through this 4,100 level, I think it's a low probability bet. It doesn't mean it can't happen, but you want the probabilities to be stacked in your favor. And to be bearish in the dollar right now, or to be bullish
1: in the S and P right now, I think both are low probability bets. All right. Let's do two things before we get out of here. Let's talk about Warren Buffett's latest buy. I think it was over $4 mm-hmm. billion, of Taiwan semiconductor. And I will say this, a year ago, we had a guy named Ian Bremmer on our podcast, On the Tape. He runs the Eurasia Group. He's considered one of the foremost political scientists and a lot of investment firms um, you know, use his work as a consultant, subscribe to his stuff. And I remember you really clearly saying that I think there are two geopolitical events that are on people's radars, but have the potential Potential to be a massive headwind for global growth, and just again at a time where we still had a bunch of supply chain issues screwed up. We had inflationary pressures rising, and obviously a lot of people were discounting the potential for um, an invasion of um, Ukraine by the Russians. Mm-hmm. You know that didn't take long to materialize. I know you thought that was going to be something that would really affect commodity markets. You were correct on that. A lot of people thought that eh, we're going to find a diplomatic solution to that, and the other one was. China. Um, potentially invading or provoking Taiwan in some sort of way, which would disrupt manufacturing, which many of our major tech companies rely on. Right, so Taiwan Semiconductor—they um, are—they um, make chips for you know a lot of different chip makers and a lot of different OEMs here. And this stock has absolutely been taken to the woodshed. What do you think about a guy like Buffett, who's not great in tech, guy? I mean, he's gotten this Apple thing correct in a big, big way. This is a really interesting one because of. The geopolitical implications, because of the potential for deglobalization, that sort of thing, is this a play on Taiwan semiconductor investing in places outside of China and Taiwan?
0: Yeah, it's it. You know, when it, we talked about it last night on Fast Money, and I said, look, you know, if you think about it, what he did here, he's clearly discounting. The fact that something can happen between China and Taiwan, because if he thought that something bad was going to happen there, the last place I think you want to be is Taiwan semi. So to a certain extent, that should assuage some of the concerns people have. It doesn't really change my view. I think the Chinese are still sort of full bore. And I think it's just a, to me, it's just a matter of time. I'm not wishing that. I'm just trying to read the tea leaves. But to your point, he's looking at a company that was just trading at a two and a half year low on valuation. He could probably wrap his head around. A lot of people think Taiwan Semi is one of the five most important companies in the world. You probably share that view. And he said, you know, I haven't seen this stock at this valuation in a while. Um, I think you're getting it on sale and he's going to take a pretty meaningful stake. And again, I think it's the largest chip company in the world or right around that.
1: Yeah, it's really fascinating when you look at this, like kind of two year chart here. Early this year, the stock was making an all time high. They just put out some big CapEx numbers that they were just going to continue to build out fabs. And, you know, the, mm-hmm. the numbers were really good. And really, a large part of this is, I think, fears of what you just outlined is the potential for some sort of, at the very least, like a blockade of Taiwan and a bunch of kind of, um, you know, restrictions on maybe manufacturing in, in the area here. But look at how that thing bounced off of that breakout level from, you know, late 2020 here, pretty fascinating stuff. All right. Last thing, guy, before we get out of here, um, you know, you mentioned that, you know, if the Fed were to pivot at how that would be something that could cause, you know, commodities to kind of reflate here a little bit. And let's just pull up this crude chart, because this is one where a lot of us, and again, I'm just kind of a macro tourist, if you will, a lot of people spend a lot of time staring at crude, staring at the dollar, right? Staring at interest rates, And this one just can't get out of its own way. You've got a really good call on the oil services stocks, the OIH, on the large integrators, on the XLE, which made a new all-time high, I think, yesterday, or at least, 52 week multi-year low but this crude is really heavy and and i gotta tell you if we do have a couple more you know soft data numbers here um it really feels like that the fed funds is going to price in maybe december um at 50 and be done for 2023 and if crude doesn't rally if some of these other industrial commodities don't rally that would be something that would make me a bit more bullish again 100 percent no look You're
0: right about that. I mean, that scenario is the best case, right? That The the data continues to soften. The dollar continues Mm -hmm. to sell off because, as you know, I mean, a a rising dollar was just a wrecking ball for so many of these companies that guided on the back of it. But if that happens and commodities don't get back on the horse, I mean, that's the best case scenario. I mean, that is, you know, I I never say this, but that's your Goldilocks scenario where things are playing out on the slowdown front. You don't have a meaningful move in commodities back to the upside. And to your earlier point, uninflation moves up, but it doesn't move up in a in a precipitous way. So things start to yep. play out the way I guess a lot of the people envisioned when they when they went on this, um, you know, when the Fed went on this move. So well, so we'll see. I do yep. think there's going to be another leg in this commodities move, but it's not playing out right now. The odd thing is, though, to your earlier point, The equities, um, at least the energy equities, suggest completely the opposite. So, you know, maybe we're in a world now where crude goes nowhere and these energy stocks continue to grind higher because that's been what we've seen over the last few months, at least. Yeah,
1: well, here's the thing, guy. You and I, I think, can assure our market call viewers and listeners of on the tape and okay, computer. I mean, listen, the fact that we're doing this stuff every day now, we're trying to like kind of map it out. We're trying of talk to you about the stuff that we're seeing, the stuff, the information we're relying on, how stress testing our our kind of views. You use that expression all the time. I don't want to be dogmatic or this and that, whatever. The beauty about doing this every day is that we can kind of talk ourselves through it, and hopefully, that is kind of beneficial official to the viewer, to the listener, and and uh, here's one thing: I, I think if you watch Market Call a lot, you'll know this. We are not going to press the lows in anything, whether it be an individual security, whether it be the market. And again, you know, if this thing gets back up, and then the thing being the S and P 500 to that downtrend, might we be as cautious as we were in you know August or back in March? Sure, but we are not going to be saying "run for the hills" when we're you know retesting mm-hmm. new lows, and we may get. Our out of that short-term bearish view a little early and miss whatever the capitulation is—is is that a fair
0: statement, Guy? I think it is a fair statement. You know, it's it's it, it's diff. Well, it's not difficult. I mean, we choose to do it, but I mean, the challenges, um, their challenges surrounding talking about the market every day, minute to minute, and you know, we embrace those challenges. But you also have to be fluid. I mean, you can't. You know, I struggle with being dogmatic and trying to be, you know, open-minded and stuff. And sometimes it clouds your judgment, but. I think we've done a decent job navigating and to your earlier point, I think if you're getting overly bullish here, the same way a lot of people got overly bullish in the middle of October, you know I think that could lead to some problems. but we'll see. today's going to be a really interesting day. you know I think the &;P is I'm, I'm looking quickly where we did so the Dows up almost 350 the &P is 4026. 20, so 20, here we 20, go 20. yeah yeah and yeah. we'll see. So anyway, but that's it, Dan,
1: that's it because we're getting on a plane yeah we are we're getting on a jet plane guy i'll see you over there at newark hey guys if you bump into us if you just happen to be in newark in an hour or so say hi i mean because you know guy adami he likes to sign headshots he travels around with headshots people portfolio. So if see guy my adami, portfolio if you ever see guy adami in public be like hey i know you carry headshots can you sign one for me and by the way that head that you got rocking today could you give us a good little look here it's pretty. I
0: got my dope. pomade it's in. Today. I got a haircut yesterday. Yeah. I took
1: You know it, what the, I you took know what it what down. You know what, Felicia, in the who was like does our makeup, you know, in the green room yesterday, said to me, she goes, "You got a, a thing with this piece." He's like, "You're gonna get." It? I was like, "Piece? What do you, what do you think this is? Like, I, you got a hair piece?" No, she meant this piece of hair right here. I was offended well, for a moment.
0: Well, you know, you were you were thinking she got you confused with Joe Kernan, but that's it for market call. I want to thank FactSet for providing us with all the charts and data for this broadcast. As we said, we're going to Naples, Florida, for the CME Group LPGA Tour Championship. Market Call will be back tomorrow at 2 o'clock, 2 p.m. tomorrow. Sorry for these time changes. Thursday, we're back at the regular time, 1 p.m. We'll see you folks then.